Hi, Dave Emery here. This is for the record program number 1259. How many lies before you belong to the lies? Part 21. This is being recorded on September 12th of the year 2022. We are going to be updating the war in Ukraine. Uh, however, before I do that, uh, a number of advisories. Uh, for openers, uh, as I've said so many times, I could not be, well, I, I, I always say I could not be more pessimistic, but then I get <laughs> more pessimistic uh, the, the, the week after. So uh, as of September 12th of 2022, uh, I couldn't be more pessimistic, but I may very well be in a couple of days, so uh, tune back in. Um, the question, of course, is why is this man laughing? That's a very good one. Uh, my favorite quote, or one of them from Friedrich Nietzsche, the late German philosopher, a joke is the epigram on the death of a feeling. And uh, I really am extremely pessimistic. I think we are headed for uh, a third world war with all that implies. So I cannot emphasize strongly enough that listeners to this program obtain the 32 gigabyte flash drive with all of my life's work on it, all of my printed material, all of my recorded material, the comments that are made, most of them by Parafractal, more about that later, and also a mini library of old anti-fascist books on easy-to-download PDF files. There will be a new 32-gigabyte flash drive available presently. Uh, it will certainly be complete by the end of the year, and it will be updated with not only the information about the war in Ukraine, but uh, also the latest information about Pandemics Incorporated. And I will be doing a, another series of interviews with Jindy Ajamio, uh, he is the author of Destiny Betrayed and also was selected by Oliver Stone to do the screenplay for the JFK Revisited documentary. All of that will be on the new version of the 32 gigabyte flash drive. There is a link at the top of each written Food for Thought description. I turn each of these programs into a long article link description because of the very pedantic and controversial format. I present the sources upon which my lines of argument are, are based at the top of each of those uh, written for the record descriptions and at the top of each Food for Thought post. There is a link which will permit you to order the 32 gigabyte flash drive available for a very nominal tax-deductible contribution. I get no money whatsoever from that, and I'm about to start my 44th year on the air. There is way too much going on. Uh, for people, by the way, f who find that podcasts are the best way for them to consume for the record, sister station WFMU is podcasting for the record, and uh, there is a link again at the top of each written food for thought, uh, well, each food for thought post and each written f uh, for the record description, which will enable you to subscribe to the WFMU podcast. 
I also emphatically encourage people to maintain contact with the comments that were made on the website, most of them by our expert commentator, Tara Fractal. Uh, there is way too much for me to cover, even in uh, more than one one-hour-a-week program. I've been recording quite a few, uh, many weeks. Uh, in order to keep up with the torrent of information, most of it very, very bad indeed, uh, please utilize the comments that were made on the SpitfireList.com website, most of them provided by our expert contributing editor, Terra Fractal. And again, because there is so much going on, far more than I could possibly cover in a one-hour weekly program, I'm doing a Patreon site, which features three one-hour talks per week with machine transcripts, and also uh, bi-weekly Zoom Q&A meetings. I'm hoping to feature as well uh, periodic appearances by authors and experts to uh, answer questions or do presentations about their work. Stay tuned for news about that. Uh, the Three one-hour talks often go well more than one hour, so it is very commonplace for the three one-hour talks to total almost four per week. But again, there is just too much going on to possibly do justice to in the course of a one-hour weekly program. In the Patreon talk I did today, for example, I discussed... Uh, the various considerations with regard to Ukraine's offensive in Kharkov, uh, that is a long discussion and speculative and entails a lot of different considerations. It exemplifies why I'm doing the Patreon talks and why there's just too much information and too many considerations to do in a one-hour weekly program. So again, there is a link at the top of each written for the record description and at the top of each Food for Thought post that will enable you to participate in the Patreon Day Memory Experience. Now, Having said that, in this program, we're going to, and also in the, in the next, we're going to update some of the things going on with regard to the war in Ukraine. And there is an economic role to what is going on that is, at one level, head-scratching and puzzling, at another, very disturbing indeed. There, there is good discussion in the Moon of Alabama blog, which in turn features analysis by American economics professor Michael Hudson. Uh, one of the head-scratching aspects to this whole thing is what the bleep is Europe doing in connection with the war in Ukraine? Certainly if regime change in Russia can be brought about, and I think that is one of the goals of the operation, uh, then the vast resources of Russia will be available to the transnational corporations. However, they're going to have to do that, and so far uh, the regime change operation has not been successful. 
because of the sanctions that have been imposed uh, and the turning off for all practical, practical purposes of the Russian natural gas spigot to Western Europe, there are dire economic straits in being uh, realized in Europe, which may get much, much worse during the winter, as not only residences become very cold, but as commercial undertakings as well feel the bite of the lack of Russian natural gas. Uh, all over the world, including right here in the U.S., inflation is... Uh, increasing or and is resulting from the war in Ukraine to make a very, very long story very, very short. Uh, the cost of food, fuel, and fertilizer is going up. Everybody uses those directly and or indirectly, and when the price of those goes up and the sanctions and the war are driving them up, well, then everybody experiences that rise in costs. Uh, this particular Moon of Alabama post, again featuring analysis by Michael Hudson, or Professor Michael Hudson, is called How Europe Was Pushed Towards Economic Suicide, from the Moon of Alabama blog, from May 18th of 2022. And it reads, With the active help from Europe's, quote, leadership, unquote, the U.S. is succeeding in ruining Europe. As Michael Hudson, H-U-B-S-O-N, a research professor of economics at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, wrote in early February before Russia's intervention in Ukraine, America no longer has the monetary power and seemingly chronic trade and balance of payments surplus that enabled it to draw up, to draw up the world's trade and investment rules in 1944 and 1945. The threat to U.S. dominance is that China, Russia, and McEnroe's Eurasian World Island heartland are offering better trade and investment opportunities than are available from the U.S. with its increasingly desperate demand for sacrifices from its NATO and other allies. The most glaring example is the U.S. drive to block Germany from authorizing the Nord Stream 2 pipeline to obtain gas. Uh, One more time. The most glaring example is the U.S. drive to block Germany from authorizing the Nord Stream 2 pipeline to obtain Russian gas for the coming cold weather. Angela Merkel agreed with Donald Trump to spend a billion dollars building a new liquid national natural gas port to become more dependent on highly priced U.S. liquid natural gas. The plan was canceled after the U.S. and German elections changed both leaders. It now is apparently on again. But Germany has no other way of heating many of its houses and office buildings or supplying the fertilizer companies than with Russian gas. The only way left for U.S. diplomats to block European purchases is to goad Russia into a military response and then claim that avenging this response outweighs any purely national 
economic interest. One more time, because I think uh, Professor Hudson's words, again, this is in early February of this year, before the start of the war. The only way left for U.S. diplomats to block European purchases is to goad Russia into a military response and then claim that avenging this response outweighs any purely national economic interest. As hawkish Undersecretary of State for Political Affairs Victoria Newland explained in a State Department press briefing on January 27th, quote, If Russia invades Ukraine one way or another, Nord Stream 2 will not move forward, unquote. One more time. As hawkish Undersecretary of State for Political Affairs Victoria Newland explained in a State Department press briefing on January 27th, parenthetically of 2022, if Russia invades Ukraine one way or another, Nord Stream 2 will not move forward. The problem is to create a suitably offensive incident and depict Russia as the aggressor. In mid-February, the Office of Security and Cooperation in Europe Observer noted that the artillery bombardment of Donbass by the Ukrainians increased from a handful to over 2,000 explosions per day. Russia reacted to these attack preparations by recognizing the Donbass republics, signing defense agreements with them, and by finally coming to their help. Shortly after the launch of the Russian military operation, Professor Hudson further developed his earlier thoughts. The recent probing of Russia by expanding Ukrainian anti-Russian ethnic violence by Ukraine's neo-Nazi post-2014 Maidan regime aims at forcing a showdown. It comes in response to the fear by U.S. interests that they are losing their economic and political hold on their NATO allies and other dollar-area satellites, as these countries have seen their major opportunities for gain to lie in increasing trade and investment with China and Russia. As President Biden explained, the current military escalation, prodding the bear, unquote, is not really about Ukraine. Biden promised at the outset that no U.S. troops would be involved, but he has been demanding for over a year that Germany prevent the Nord Stream 2 pipeline from supplying its industry and housing with low-priced gas and turn to the much higher-priced U.S. supplies. The most pressing U.S. strategic aim of NATO confrontation with Russia is soaring oil and gas prices. In addition to creating profits and stock market gains for U.S. companies, higher energy prices will take much of the steam out of the German economy. In early April, Professor Hudson took another look at the situation. Again, quoting, It is now clear that the new Cold War was planned over a year ago with serious strategy associated with America's perceived block of Nord Stream 2 as part of its aim of barring Western Europe, NATO, from seeking prosperity by mutual trade and investment with China and Russia. 
so the Russian-speaking Donetsk and Lukansk regions were shelled with increasing intensity, and when Russia still refrained from responding, plans reportedly were drawn up for a great showdown last February, a heavy Western Ukrainian attack organized by U.S. advisors and armed by NATO. European trade and investment prior to the war to create sanctions had promised a rising mutual prosperity among Germany, France, and other NATO countries vis-à-vis Russia and China. Russia was providing abundant energy at a competitive price, and this energy supply was to make a quantum leap with Nord Stream 2. Europe was to earn the foreign exchange to pay for this rising import trade by a combination of exporting more industrial manufacturers to Russia and capital investment in rebuilding the Russian economy, e.g. by German auto companies, aircraft, and financial investment. This bilateral trade and investment is now stopped for many, many years, given NATO's confiscation of Russia's foreign reserves kept in euros and British sterling. The European response to the U.S. proxy war against Russia was based on media-driven hysterical moralizing or maybe moralizing hysteria. It was and is neither rational nor realistic. The European, quote, leadership, unquote, decided that nothing but the economic suicide of Europe was sufficient to show Russia that Brussels was seriously miffed. Dimwit national governments, including the German one, followed that program. Should they stay on their course, the result will be a complete deindustrialization of Western Europe. In the words of one serious observer, quote, Today, we see for purely political reasons, driven by their own ambitions and under pressure from their U.S. overlord, the European countries are imposing more sanctions on the oil and gas markets, which will lead to more inflation. Instead of admitting their mistakes, they are looking for a guilty party elsewhere. One gets the impression that Western politicians and economists simply forget basic economic laws or just choose to ignore them. Saying no to Russian energy means that Europe will systematically and for the long term become the world's most costly region for energy resources. Yes, prices will rise and resources will go to counter these price hikes, but this will not change the situation significantly. Some analysts are saying that it will seriously or even irrevocably undermine the competitiveness of a significant portion of European industry, which is already losing ground to companies from other parts of the world. Now, these processes will certainly pick up pace. Clearly, the opportunities for economic activity with its improvements will leave Europe for other regions, as will Russia's energy resources. This economic auto-da-fe, suicide, is, of course, the internal affair of the European countries. Now, our partners' erratic actions, this is what they are, have resulted in a de facto growth in revenue in the Russian oil and gas sector, in addition to the damage to the European economy.
Understanding what steps the West will take in the near future, we must reach conclusions in advance and be proactive, turning the thoughtless, chaotic steps of some of our partners to our advantage to the, for the benefits of our country. Naturally, we should not hope for their endless mistakes. We should simply practically perceive from current realities, as I said. And that observer was Vladimir Putin and they had a meeting on oil industry development on May 17th, 2020 in Moscow. Obviously, that situation has uh, accelerated dramatically. Uh, I do not know what is going through the minds of uh, the European leaders. Are arms being twisted? Has the return to power in the Philippines of the Marcos dynasty with Ferdinand Marcos Jr., a.k.a. Bong Bong, uh, now back in power? He was privy to his father's gold deals with the Japanese and with the U.S. intelligence community and military. Will the golden lily gold spigot be turned wider? Uh, will some of that be used to feather the beds of European leaders and or bank accounts? I don't know. Uh, but it is a head-scratcher. What is Europe thinking? Are they really envisioning that Putin will be brought down and a Boris Yeltsin-type satrap will be put into power to open up the tremendous resources of Russia for exploitation? I do not know. Some observers... Many observers have been predicting serious economic deprivation and consequent political unrest in Europe as a result of uh, the war and the rise in prices. I don't know if that will happen. Some have suggested that if it does happen, uh, then the far right will gain power in one or more large countries in Europe. Is that a goal here? I do not know. Uh, I'm going to introduce a speculative element into the discussion. Uh, this concerns an apparent ancestor of the von der Leyen clan. That is the family into which Ursula married. Uh, she is the head of the EU at the present time. At least their most visible uh political leader, and she, the von der Leyen family into which she married, are traditional silk merchants, and it appears that a member of that family was a key Nazi leader in Galicia, in Ukraine, who appears to have had participation in the Holocaust and allegedly died in the Dresden raids in February of 1945. It is very commonplace for deaths to be faked by the post-war Nazi diaspora in order to uh, allow uh, controversial figures to reestablish themselves under a different identity abroad. Now, is that the case here? I do not know. But it is interesting that an apparent ancestor immediate ancestor of Ursula von der Leyen's uh, family by marriage, her in-laws, was a key Nazi official in Galicia. I have not been able to locate any 
family trees that indicate this individual. However, uh, using the sources that I'm going to excerpt here, it does appear apparent that this Nazi ancestor of the von der Leyen's uh, was a member of that same family, the silk merchants uh, that the von der Leyen's uh, historically have been. The, the clue to this, now again, I've not been able to find in any other family trees any discussion of this individual. So whether, uh, if in fact this person exists, they have been uh, sort of put down the Orwellian memory hole, that is a possibility. But in any event, I put this forward for what it is worth. From Foreign Policy of April 30th of 2021, an article by Peter Kurast, K-U-R-A-S, the aristocratic ineptitude of Ursula von der Leyen, and it is excerpted. How the EU president's family connections explain her rise to power and failures using it during the pandemic. Skipping down, we see this. Von der Leyen's family tree traces a legacy of power and brutality, incorporating not only some of Germany's most significant Nazis, but also some of Britain's largest slave traders, and through marriage, some of the United States' largest slave owners. Von der Leyen is descended directly from James Ladson, capital L-A-B-S-O-N, who, who owned more than 200 slaves when the Civil War broke out. Now, the link for most significant Nazis goes to the German Wikipedia page for someone named Joachim Freiherr von der Leyen. Now, from the text of this Wikipedia entry, it is apparent that the individual was part of the von der Leyen soap merchant's family into which Ursula von der Leyen married. The entry, again, from the German language Wikipedia set article, Joachim Freiherr von der Leyen. Joachim Freiherr von der Leyen, September 28, 1897, in Haus Mayer Buderich, and died 1945 in Dresden, was a German lawyer and administrative official who worked as a district administrator in the occupied countries of Czechoslovakia and Poland during the National Socialist period, and as a district captain in the district of Galicia, was involved in the organization of the Holocaust. Skipping down. Von der Leyen comes from the Von der Leyen family of silk barons in Krefeld. That's capital K-R-E-F-E-L-D. This is, in fact, the in-laws, the Von der Leyen in-laws of Ursula. She married into the family. Skipping down again. At the end of July 1942, speaking of Joachim Freiherr Von der Leyen, he succeeded Otto Bauer as district captain in the district of Lemberg land in the district of Galicia. The district governor there was Otto Wachter. Bauer remained head of the district's internal administration. Berthold Putter, P-U-U-N-O-T-E-R, the district captain of lemberg Grobeck, had been drafted into the Wehrmacht and the district administration had been merged with lemberg Land. The fact that von der Leyen was informed about the Jewish actions in advance is documented, as was the case with a number of other district captains. He is said to have died of gas poisoning after the air raid on Dresden. 
Again, uh, this certainly appears to be the same family, the prominent soap merchants of Krefeld. However, I have not been able to find this individual in any von der Leyen family trees uh, that are available online. So make of that what you will. It would not surprise me if this was an actual member of the family and that perhaps he has been, uh, quote, uh, erased from the historical record because of the fact that he is a, a historical link with the Galician district in western Ukraine. That was one of the epicenters of the OUNB, and uh, indeed in the city of Lvov in Galicia there is a famous, not a famous picture, but um, there is a picture I have used many times, and I will put it in the written description for this program, that features a ceremony in the summer of 2018 that celebrates the 75th anniversary of the founding of the 14th Waffen-SS Division, or Galician Division. And there are three uh, Waffen-SS reenactors, two of whom are in oak-leaf camouflage uniforms with uh, bayonet-fixed Mauser rifles, and the other of whom is in the officer's uniform. And there is a Ukrainian color guard marching in the background. The Vogue is in Galicia, and it is one of the epicenters of the OUNB Nazi elements in charge in in charge of the national security establishment in Ukraine. One of the remarkable features about the war there uh, concerns the extent to which it is not only Orwellian in that the exhaustively documented Nazi presence in Ukraine uh, that presence is astride the national security organs of the country, military, intelligence, and police, and now wields effective political control as well. Uh, that has not only been put down the Orwellian memory hole, whereas it was well documented, and whereas it has been exhaustively documented in these programs and descriptions for the better part of a decade, now if you talk about that and it is well documented, you are tarred with the uh, Russian dupe, Russian agent, etc. You are uh, said to be a, a Putin stooge at best. And yet, it is absolutely correct. What is at one level remarkable and at another altogether terrifying is the extent to which the war in Ukraine is bringing to the fore a serpent's walk manifestation. I have talked about that Nazi tract at great length over the years. It is about the SS uh, going underground, building up their economic muscle, which we know they did, uh, then buying into the opinion-forming media, taking over the U.S. and basically standing World War II history on its head, where the Nazis and the SS become heroes. What we are witnessing in the Ukraine war is basically just such a serpent's walk scenario. Exemplifying that is an article that appeared in the Western print edition of the New York Times of July 24th of 2022. It was titled, Last Stand at the Steelworks, Inside an 80-Day Siege by Michael Schwertz, S-C-H-W-I-R-P-Z, again from the New York Times of uh, the Western print edition of July 24th of 2022. 
This article begins on the front page, and it continues for some six pages on the inside. And what the article does, again, it's a long article, I'm not going to read it, but it basically makes the Azov Regiment the defenders of the Azov-style steelworks in Mariupol out to be heroes. It, It lionizes them. I've spoken about that in the past. And what we have here, basically, are out-and-out Nazis being elevated to the status of folk heroes. It is literally Nazi worship. It is literally Serpent's Walk made manifest. Likewise, another article that appeared about three weeks later, also again in the Western print edition of the New York Times, this from August 18th, of 2022. It is by Andrew W. Kramer. Ukrainians behind enemy lines tell invaders, quote, you're never safe, unquote. Again, by Andrew W. Andrew W. Kramer. That was Andrew E. Kramer. I may, anyway, I may have uh, typed wrong here. By Andrew Kramer of the New York Times uh, from August 18th of 2022. This is about Ukrainian sabotage activities behind Russian lines. I've opined from the earliest stages of the war that I am quite sure that there are not only CIA but other Western intel special operations troops at work in Ukraine, not only Green Beret and or Navy SEALs, but uh, MI6-directed special air services and so forth. I think they are undoubtedly participating. They also have trained uh, Ukrainian operatives as well. This article features an interview with a Ukrainian commando slash saboteur who only uses his Nolda gear of Sverog, that's capital S, V-A-R-O-G, who was a Norse or Scandinavian god of fire. And it notes about him, and again, he is presented as an iconic hero. Before the war, Sverog occasionally joined weekend training with Right Sector and the National Corps, a branch of the Azov movement, both of which are aligned with paramilitary units in Ukraine. And again, this article presents Farag and his uh, comrades in arms as heroes. Once again, the Serpent's Walk transmogrification of Nazis into heroes. And I think uh, this is going to be the wave of the future. I don't like it, but I think that is the way things will be. I think at some point in the future... Adolf Hitler's birthday will be an international holiday. The world will be very different from what it is today, and I think an awful lot of people uh, are going to die before that will happen, but I'm afraid that is on track. If that seems crazy, far-fetched, wacko, what have you, just take a look at the elevation of the OUNB Nazi successor organizations uh, in Ukraine and their elevation to absolute folk heroes and look at the so-called progressives and liberals in this country uh, displaying the yellow and blue Ukrainian flag and uh, trekking, uh, uh, decking themselves out in Ukrainian and uh, blue and yellow bunting and so forth. Reminds me of uh, the late political comedian Mort Saul's observation. Mort Saul, by the way, uh, was one of Jim Garrison's investigators in his uh, pursuit of the assassins of JFK. 
Mozart observed, quote, A liberal's idea of courage is eating at a restaurant that hasn't been reviewed yet. Uh, amen. And uh, don't expect them to exhibit the courage to criticize the Nazis in Ukraine for what they clearly are. Uh, another example of this elevation of Ukrainian Nazis and fascists into heroes, uh, this appropriately enough at an athletic competition sponsored by the Pentagon at Disney World, was discussed in the gray zone of August 31st of 2022. This is an article by Alexander Rubinstein, John Stewart, and the Pentagon on a Ukrainian Nazi at Disney World. It reads in part, the introduction, Defense Department-sponsored Warrior Games, unquote, featured liberal comedian John Stewart awarding a member of Ukraine's neo-Nazi Azov Battalion at Disney World. The Pentagon refused to tell Gray Zone whether U.S. taxpayers funded the foreign competitors' travel. The article reads in part, This August, during the Department of Defense's annual Warrior Games at Disney World in Orlando, Florida, liberal comedian John Stewart awarded a Ukrainian military veteran named Ihor Halushka, that's I-H-O-R, last name capital H-A-L-U-S-H-K-A, the, quote, heart of the team, unquote, award for, quote, inspiring his team, unquote, with his, quote, personal example. By the way, I may be butchering the gentleman's name, the Ukrainian pronunciation. Continuing, Halushka happens to have been a member of the neo-Nazi Azov Battalion, which has been armed by the U.S. and integrated into the Ukrainian National Guard. The award-winning ultra-nationalist wore a sleeve over his left arm as he accepted the prize, presumably to cover up his tattoo of the Nazi Sonnenrod or Black Sun. Because the Warrior Games are sponsored by the Pentagon, American taxpayers likely paid to send Ukrainian Nazis like Halushka to Disney World. Indeed, at least two members of a Ukrainian team of wounded veteran athletes flown to Orlando, Florida, are confirmed members of neo-Nazi groups in their country. Yulia Pavelska, that's capital Y-U-L-I-A, last name capital P-A-L-E-V-S-K-A, and again, I may be butchering the pronunciation, and Ihor Halushka were members of the fascist right sector organization and Azov Battalion, respectively. The pair are part of a team of 40 Ukrainian veterans participating in the Warrior Games. They were joined at the ceremony for this year's competition by Darius Rucker, R-U-C-K-E-R, the former vocalist for the glorified bar band Hootie and the Blowfish, and hosted by liberal comedian John Stewart. During the closing ceremony, Stewart awarded the Azov Battalion Solushka with the Heart of the Team Award. The announcer proclaimed that Ihor, quote, inspires his team with his personal example and his unique sense of humor. Sergeant First Class Ihor Halushka embodies the spirit and determination that is the heart of Team Ukraine, unquote. Stewart triumphantly bellowed Ihor, unquote, as the Nazi was presented with his trophy. Prior to Russia's invasion of Ukraine in February of this year, 
Mainstream outlets from the Daily Beast to Vox to Foreign Policy and even the U.S. government propaganda outlet Voice of America have each acknowledged the Azov Battalion's embrace of Nazism. White sector group have been similarly identified as a fascist organization. Since the invasion, however, Western corporate media has downplayed the presence of Nazis in the Ukrainian armed forces as groups like Azov have taken on prominent front-line roles. Skipping down. As the Grey Zone reported, the head of Ukraine's veteran agency attended a 2019 neo-Nazi black metal concert featuring several anti-Semitic metal bands and promoted the event on Facebook, but we've covered that in the past. According to a deleted article from 2017 on an Azov Battalion website, at least three members of the notorious ultra-nationalist fighting force have participated in the Invictus Games. Because Azov identified the competitors by their call signs and therefore did not disclose their real names, it is not possible to determine whether they also competed in the 2022 Warrior Games. An unlisted YouTube video by the Invictus Games on YouTube offers a close-up of Halushka working out with Nazi Black Sun tap, with the Nazi Black Sun symbol tattooed on his left elbow clearly visible. Halushka opted to cover the fascist symbol during the photo ops at the Warrior Games. Halushka has never been shy about his ties to the Azov Battalion. During the Invictus Games this April, he whipped out an Azov flag as he accepted the gold medal, which was hosted in The Hague, where war criminals are normally tried, not awarded. Likewise, in Orlando, Halushka wore an Azov Battalion t-shirt as he accepted a gold medal for indoor rowing. He was honored days later as the, quote, heart, unquote, of his team. The next section is uh, symbol of Ukrainian bravery was member of fascist right sector. Perhaps the most famous Ukrainian Warrior Games participant is Yulia Podlevska, who the New York Times has dubbed, quote, a symbol of Ukrainian bravery and self-sacrifice, unquote. Podlevska gained international recognition this March when she handed off footage she had filmed in Mariupol to a journalist with the Associated Press. The video showed Polevska evacuating Azov Battalion soldiers from the Azov Stahl steel plant in Mariupol when she was captured by Russian forces. Three months later, she was released. Polevska's release by Russia was such a notable event in Ukraine that President Zelensky personally remarked on the development. The Associated Press downplayed her links to the Azov Battalion, writing, quote, Russia has portrayed Tyra as working for the nationalist Azov Battalion, but the AP found no such evidence, and friends and colleagues said she had no links to Azov, unquote. However, Polenska was a member of another neo-Nazi formation, similarly, beginning again, however, Polenska was a member of another neo-Nazi formation, similarly incorporated into the Ukrainian military, a fact not mentioned by mainstream media outlets that vaulted her to war hero status this March. 
2019 Bloomberg Businessweek report identified Polenska as, quote, a former member of right sector, unquote. Quote, there's no such thing as ex-right sector, unquote, she claimed, skipping down. It is difficult to believe that Polenska and Halushka are the only members of Team Ukraine that have belonged to neo-Nazi groups. A photo posted on the team's official Facebook page show five team members performing a fascist salute in front of a Warrior Games banner. In other photos, a member of the team wearing a Warrior Games t-shirt can be seen holding a right sector flag, and seven veterans associated with the team bear the flag of the 14th Waffen-SS Grenadier Division. A World War II-era Nazi military formation made up of Ukrainian nationalists, and again, apparently part of the of Ursula von der Leyen's in-laws uh, was a, a member of the, that family was a key Nazi official in Galicia, at least according to the links provided in a foreign policy article. Again, the transmogrification of Nazis into heroes in the West is of profound significance. And uh, for people that grew impatient with my discussions of Serpent's Walk over the many years, well, just take a look at what is going on. And also, while you're doing that, take a look at this as well. This is also from the gray zone of August 25th of 2022. It is by Deborah Armstrong. It originally appeared at in Medium.com, Roger Waters added to Ukraine government-sponsored hit list, again by Deborah Armstrong. The subhead, Russian political analyst Daria Dugina, who was killed in a car bomb explosion in Moscow on Saturday, now appears as liquidated, unquote, on the Ukrainian online hit list. The site was created under the watch of the Minister of Internal Affairs. And uh, on every note, the IP address of Narutvarets has been traced to a server in Brussels, Belgium. Ms. Armstrong writes, I have written about the Ukrainian hit list known as Narutvarets or Peacekeeper twice before. The first time was in this article about internet censorship, and the second time was when a 13-year-old Ukrainian girl, Faina Savankova, was added to the list for publicly speaking out against Kiev's bloody war on Russian-speaking civilians in the eastern part of Ukraine, a region known as the Donbass. Marup Varets is a database which lists thousands of journalists, activists, and anyone else who is declared an enemy of Ukraine. Their personal information is published, such as the addresses of their homes, their phone numbers, and bank account numbers, anything that can help them be easily located. When the people on this list are murdered, like Italian journalist Andrea Bocelli, R-O-C-C-H-E-L-L-I, uh, beginning again, actually, this, when the people on this list are murdered, like Italian journalist Andrea Bocelli was, the word liquidated was written in Ukrainian and is stamped across their picture in big red letters. And as of August 22nd, 
Daria Dugina, who was killed in a car bomb explosion in Moscow on Saturday, appears as liquidated, unquote, on the website, adding more credibility to Russia's assertion that she was assassinated by a Ukrainian nationalist who rented an apartment in the building where Daria lived in order to surveil her prior to her killing. It is believed that she was killed because her father, Alexander Dugan, was referred to as Putin's brain, unquote, and, quote, Putin's spiritual guide, unquote, in Western media, although these claims are really just mere speculation. It seems that almost anyone can be added to this kill list. Even Henry Kissinger's name is on the list, despite his long history of Russophobia. But since he dared to air his concerns about how the U.S. is teetering toward war with Russia and China, Kissinger, who once suggested dropping nuclear bombs on Moscow, is now declared an enemy of Ukraine. So, by the way, is Roger Waters skipping down. The co-founder of Pink Floyd recently referred to Joe Biden as a war criminal on CNN and said that Biden is, quote, fueling the fire in Ukraine, unquote. This war, the musician stated, is basically about the action and reaction of NATO pushing right up to the Russian border, which they promised they wouldn't do when Mikhail Gorbachev negotiated the withdrawal of the USSR from the whole of Eastern Europe, unquote. Waters also added that Crimea belongs to Russia because the majority of people living on the peninsula are Russian. The rock star's views have outraged the pro-NATO crowd and their Nazi friends, as well as the social justice warriors who froth at the mouth in support of whatever the mainstream media declares to be the current thing, unquote. Waters, who has always been something of a dissident and anti-war, the way all rock stars used to be when rock and roll was still real, is attacked mercilessly by the woke crowd who are intolerant of all who are not in lockstep with their views. So Henry Kissinger, now on the Marotte-Varette's list, uh, as is Roger Waters, the co-founder of uh, the iconic British psychedelic band Pink Floyd. Someone else who was on the hit list, and we're not going to have time to read this whole article. I will begin it and then uh, uh, present the entire article in our next program, and that is Scott Ritter. Scott Ritter is a former U.S. Marine Corps intelligence expert, intelligence officer, who was not only one of the weapons inspectors who said that Iraq did not have weapons of mass destruction in the run-up to the Iraq War, but he has been uh, critical of the war in Ukraine as well. He is now on the hit list. This article appeared in Consortium News of August 31st of 2022. Scott Ritter, The Death List by Scott Liver. And Liver uh, writes, The odious legacy of Stefan Bondera drives the suppression of those who dare challenge the narrative of the Russian-Ukrainian conflict promulgated by the Ukrainian government, its Western allies, and a compliant mainstream media. And there's a picture of a, a Stefan Bondera monument in Ternopol, Ukraine. 
By the way, we've covered Bombera exhaustively in this program. I first came across uh, the Bombera organization as part of the Galen organization and noted uh, their participation and that, that of fellow travelers in the assassination of JFK. The article uh, by Scott Ritter reads, In May of 1986, I received orders to attend a counterterrorism awareness course at the John F. Kennedy Special Warfare School in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. For the next two weeks, I learned about the various terrorist threats facing the United States militarily and was taught various skills to overcome them, such as high-speed evasive driving, counter-surveillance methodology, and reactive shooting techniques. Upon my return to 29 Palms, where I was stationed as a Marine Corps intelligence officer, I was given the task of putting my newly learned skills to work by carrying out a base-wide counterterrorism exercise. I borrowed a scout sniper team from the infantry battalion on base and set them up in an apartment off base where I turned them into a terrorist cell tasked with collecting intelligence on the senior officers who lived and worked on the base. The only rule was that the terrorists could not engage with civilians. No families were to be impacted by the drill. Over the course of the next 30 days, my terrorist team was able to, quote, assassinate, unquote, every battalion commander, the regimental commander, and the base commander using improvised explosive devices and sniper fire and have the photographs to prove it. The takeaway from this exercise was that if someone wanted you dead, you were probably going to die. Vigilance was your only real defense, to be alert for anything suspicious. In short, to live a life governed by paranoia. In the age of terrorism, if you feel like someone is seeking to do you harm, it is probably because someone is seeking to do you harm. Then in the next section, using those skills. Scott Ritter writes, Throughout my professional life, I have had occasion to use the skills I've learned at Fort Bragg on several occasions. I was targeted for assassination while working as a UN weapons inspector in Iraq, and I was informed that I was a subject of a hit put out by the Russian mafia for my role in breaking up an illicit missile component smuggling ring. I would conduct a 360-degree inspection of my vehicle before entering it, looking for signs of tampering. And I would conduct counter-surveillance drills while driving, accelerating at odd intervals to see if anyone kept pace, or rapidly exiting a highway to see if anyone followed. Today, I'm a 61-year-old writer living in the suburbs of Albany, New York. It is a quiet neighborhood where everyone knows everyone, and yet, due to recent circumstances, I once again find myself inspecting my vehicle before getting inside, keeping a watchful eye out for strange vehicles driving down my street, and conducting counter-surveillance maneuvers while driving. Why the paranoia? Simply put, my name has been added to a Ukrainian kill list. Think I'm getting too worried? Ask the family of Daria Dugina, the 29-year-old daughter of the Russian philosopher Alexander Dugin. 
Both she and her father were on the same list. Both were targeted for death by an assassin dispatched by the Ukrainian secret services. Only a last-second change of plans, which put Alexander Dugan behind the wheel of a different car, kept him from being killed in the blast that took the life of his daughter. I've been writing for some time now about the Ukrainian Center for Countering Disinformation and their publication in mid-July of a blacklist, unquote, containing the names of 72 intellectuals, journalists, activists, and politicians from several countries who were labeled Russian propagandists, unquote, by the new Ukrainian government for having the audacity to speak critically yet factually about the ongoing Russian-Ukrainian conflict. I took umbrage over this list for several reasons. First and foremost, that the salaries of the Ukrainians who compiled this list appeared to be paid by the U.S. taxpayer using funds appropriated by Congress for that very purpose. The idea of Congress passing a law which empowered the Ukrainian government to do something, suppressed the First Amendment guarantees of free speech and a free press that Congress was constitutionally prohibited from doing, angered me. So, too, did the fact that the Center for Countering Disinformation announced the existence of this blacklist, unquote, at a function organized by a U.S.-funded NGO and attended by State Department officials who sat mute while their Ukrainian colleagues labeled the persons on this list information terrorists, unquote, who deserved to be arrested and prosecuted as, quote, war criminals, unquote. At the time, I cautioned that the use of such inflammatory language meant that the blacklist could be turned into a kill list simply by having a fanatic decide to take justice into his or her hands. Given that the U.S. government funded the creation of this list, organized the meeting where it was presented to the world, and gave an implicit stamp of approval to the list and its accompanying labeling through the attendance of U.S. government officials, these fanatics don't have to be foreign-sourced. Plenty of them in the U.S. adhere to the same hate-filled ideology that exists in Ukraine today and which gave birth to the blacklist. Some of them are my neighbors. And he uh, goes on to talk about some of the uh, youth camps for OUNB in the U.S. and their ideology. I've spoken about that before, and we will pick up with that when I uh, present this entire article in our next program. However, we are all out of time. Uh, don't forget the Patreon sites and the comments by Parafractal and others to uh, flesh out your understanding. This concludes for the record program number 1259. How Many Lies Before You Belong to the Lies, Part 21, being recorded on September 12th of 2022. I'm Dave Emery. Have fun.